Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, sorry I'm late. There was something going on where the 101 meets the 405, and it just took me forever to get to the lot. That's okay. I had to go to the commissary and get eggs anyway. So should we just dive in? Yeah, let's go. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. Those of you who know Liz as the co-host of Happier with Gretchen Rubin will know that Gretchen calls her Elizabeth, but here in Hollywood, she's just Liz. Although we have been called many things in our 17 years as a writing team in Hollywood. The girls, the ladies. The Davids, because it was apparently too hard to remember our names. The Den Moms. No doubt somebody referred to us as the bitches. Definitely. And what are we now? I think now we've earned just craft and fame. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's safe to say we're known for being fairly normal, which can be hard in this town. We work at it. We do. Now, for those who don't know, in TV, writers are also producers. And that means we don't just write scripts. We also oversee all aspects of production. Everything from casting to being on set to editing to music. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we manage to mesh a career and friendship most of the time. We've been friends since we were freshmen in high school. And how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. There will be green juice. Now, when people think of Hollywood, they think of glamour and stars and a million cliches. All of which are true. (laughs) Yes, we had a boss complain that his pool was too hot. But the cliches are also not true. The things that we deal with in our career, office politics, work-life balance, difficult coworkers, are probably a lot like the things you deal with every day, only with significantly more plastic surgery. <laughs> Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll pick a mantra to help us get through the craziness of development season, call our agent to talk about one of the worst calls he's ever had to make to us, and discuss whether or not we have hearts full of love. We'll also have our weekly Hollywood hack, which Heads Up has an R rating. So, Sarah, let's dive in. Let's do it. We'll start with a segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. 
And this week, what's most pressing is coming up with a new work mantra. One of the first things people notice when they walk into our office after the treadmill desks is our sign, which says, it's a fun job and I enjoy it. Which is something you said one day when we were running our first show in the midst of a hideous crisis with an actor who shall remain nameless. Uh, and it kind of summarized the attitude that we needed to keep us going. Yes, I said that. And then you went out and secretly had the signs made for us and for another female writing team who were in the middle of their own show crisis. And you gave them to all of us. And we've had them posted on our office walls ever since. Reminding us that no matter what, we love our job and we're lucky to have it. And we have found that having mantras has helped us focus our energies and reminded us that sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad but we can get through it. We will persist. Exactly. And our work mantras are one of the things that keep us sane in a fundamentally insane world. <laughs> so today we decided we're going to come up with our development season mantra. Very exciting. For those who don't know, in television, there are distinct seasons. There's development season, pilot season, staffing season, hell season. That's not an official title. We just call it that when you're actually making the show. In development season, projects are being created, sold to studios, then networks, then developed and written. So, okay, let's dive into possible mantras for this development season. Let's look at our past mantras and see what's worked for us, and then we can focus in on new mantra. Okay. So the first mantra that we rely on all the time is clarity and emotion above all else. Joss Whedon said this when we were working on Angel. We were lower-level writers desperately seeking guidance, <laughs> and that was one of the notes he gave us on one of our first scripts. And Liz wrote it on a little yellow Post-it, and it was pinned to our corkboard in our office for years, and we never forgot it. We asked him about it recently, and he totally forgot it. It's not his mantra. <laughs> no, and he said, well, that is a good thing to say. <laughs> So we've got clarity and emotion above all else. Another mantra that I love. This yeah. one came from our friend Bob, who wrote Wedding Crashers. They don't remember late. They remember bad. That's a big one. Although we're never late because we're, you know, we're rule followers. We're obligers. We're obligers. <laughs> we hand everything on on time. But it is true. They don't remember late. They remember bad. Yeah, and we have regretted it when we hand things in, thinking, oh, God, we should have been late. We'd have regretted it many times. Well, And then the last one is... Don't treat a gift like a burden, which one of the Happier with Gretchen Rubin listeners, I think, phoned in with or emailed. That was at a live show in Seattle. And it's amazing. I heard that and it just like changed my life. So that is something we now apply to when we're overloaded with work or when we're dealing with some kind of unpleasant situation, which happens. I just say, don't treat a gift like a burden. We have that written on a whiteboard. We don't have a sign made yet, but we've yeah. got it up on the whiteboard. <laughs> All right, so options for this development season. One that I really like is every time the first time. To me, that says it's so hard to keep coming up with new show ideas, face that rejection, try to get them made, but you've got to have the same enthusiasm that you had the first time you did it. That is true. Every time the first time, to me, I love it, but I also feel like it's more of a global mantra than like a development mantra. 
Mm. If that makes sense,、uh, like every time we join a show, every time we have a meeting, every time we do anything, we should say every time the first time. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, here's one for、okay. development season. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> no dead kids. <laughs> Which I fully support. <laughs> that's because we we just do not want to deal with any、oh, hurt or sad children. In any script ever again. That's is the problem of being a mother. We just can't handle it anymore. Yeah, we're over that. It's too excruciating. No dead kids. But it's not exactly inspiring. So maybe it's not a good mantra that we want like up on the wall. Right. We also talked about entertain me exclamation point. Entertain me. I mean, I like that because I think what we run into is just sometimes I feel like as writers we forget that we're just supposed to be entertaining. I mean, forget is it smart? Is it this? Is it that? It's like is it entertaining? Do I is someone going to want to watch this? Yeah. So I thought of an alternative to entertain me、mm. at two a.m. this morning when my four-year-old daughter wandered into my room asking if she could take a shower. Violet. What about just plain and simple one word mantra? More, more. What does it mean? I don't、okay. know. What does it mean? Well, this is what I like about more. It applies to everything. I feel like often we break something, and then we'll look at a scene and be like, "All right, that's good," and then we move、mm. on. And I think if we look at every scene, every line, every, and say like, "Can we get more drama? More funny? More tension? More conflict?" Just sort of on a macro level and a micro level, I don't know. More suddenly appealed to me at two a.m. I like that. It also goes with the whole、uh, trend now that every TV show has a one-word name. So we're kind of <laughs> going with that too. If we have a one-word mantra, yes, exactly. More. Okay, I think that is a that currently for me that's a lead contender. Okay. Okay. Another one that I thought of. Is because I feel like we do try to game the system. Yeah, we, we try、do. to think like, what does the network want? What are they looking for? What can we provide them that they have to put on the air? And our agent always says, you can't game the system. So、it's、what so about、true. you can't game the system? So we don't fall into the trap of trying. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. So I have one more, another two a.m. inspired by、mm-hmm. Violet, relentless entertainment. Mm. It's similar to entertain me and more, but kind of no backing down, no pauses, no. I mean, we like downbeats. Downbeats are good, but like, just like beat people up with how entertained they are. <laughs> <laughs> Relentless entertainment. Too aggressive. I don't know. I kind of like it. <laughs> I think I like it the best. Really? Because it's go violent. It's more specific. Yes. Then more.、Yeah. I like more, but more is not as specific. Relentless entertainment is—it's very muscular. Yeah, we like muscular. You know, it's got abs. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is that our mantra? I think that's our mantra. Okay, relentless entertainment development season mantra 2017. <laughs> we have achieved it. So we're dying to hear if other people have work mantras. Let us know if you have a mantra that helps you stay sane in a fundamentally insane world. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail dot com. Coming up, we'll talk to our agent. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Factors. 
fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Next up, it's time to call our agent. For anyone who doesn't know, an agent is the person who gets you meetings and negotiates on your behalf for jobs and the person who's usually the one to break good news and bad news. They also get 10% of your money. Our agent of 15 years is Matt Solo. Matt is a partner at WME William Morris Endeavor. Matt's probably received thousands of calls from us, uh, starting with when we were completely neurotic because we were going in to interview with Joss Whedon to be on the show Angel, through when we were uh, debating whether or not to go on The Shield, which was on FX and was a high prestige job but paid a lot less than a job we were up for on CBS, Mm -hmm. which shall remain nameless, till now when we're trying to figure out what we're going to develop next season. Yeah. Matt and all agents can have a profound impact on their client's happiness, which has to be a pretty heavy cross to bear. So today we thought we'd give him a call and ask him about one of the best calls and one of the worst calls he's ever had to make to us. Brooke, will you get Matt? Matt Sala's office. Hey, I have Liz and Sarah for Matt. Okay, one moment. Let me see if I have him. You're on with Matt. Hey, Matt. Hi. Hi, it's Matt. Hey. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Thanks for being on our podcast. You're welcome. Now, today we want to talk to you less as an agent and more as a human being, because we think a lot of us forget that agents are human beings with actual feelings. Yes, they do. (laughs) They do. And it's a much maligned class of people. It is. But we know you in particular, you really do care about your clients. And you've shared some of our highest and some of our lowest moments in Hollywood over the last 15 years that you've been our agent. Uh, Yes, that is true. (laughs) All right. Well, we want to start with something happy. A happy Matt memory is the job that we got that we felt like kind of changed everything that really kind of launched our career. We know what we think that is. What do you think that job would be? Has to be the shield. See, we thought you would say that. Actually, we think it's Angel because that was our first primetime job. It was for Joss. We learned so much. um, And we had an amazing meeting there that, like, really stands out in our memory. You know, you were a new client. I had signed you after working on a short-lived WB show or something like that. And so that was the first job I got you. And it's actually kind of funny because you didn't really have any genre material. I remember you had like an Oz spec and I was thrilled to get you hired by Joss and it was a great camp to be in. I mean, the good thing is then think about all the great relationships that came out of that. Yes. And I remember before we got the job, you said, if you get on a Joss Whedon show, you will never not work again. Which did put pressure on the meeting. It surely did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it turned out to be true. 
Yeah. So that's why we think that was kind of the game changer. Yeah, no, you know, the thing is, I guess the reason I didn't ask it that, answer your question the way you thought I would is because that was probably a, a fantastic seminal moment for you. When I look at what sort of launched you up in terms of the rest of the town, I think it was the shield because, mm, first right. of all, it had a huge amount of heat on it at the time. And second of all, there weren't that many gritty shows and certainly there weren't that many women on gritty shows, and you guys rose up through the ranks very quickly on a show that was really gritty and something that people wouldn't necessarily expect. So you kind of went down a gritty road early, and it paid off really well. And then coming out of the shield, it hasn't always been, you know, sunshine and flowers, but it really has been, I think, the definitive credit for launching you up in terms of your high profile as exec producers and as creators. But uh, so anyway, that's all good stuff. All, all great. So far, so good. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's the flip side now that we've had the good conversation. You have to call people and tell them they've been fired. I think a lot of people know about Hollywood. Getting fired is a very common occurrence. We many of us go through it and we have been through it. And so we want to hear one, do you remember calling us to tell us that we were fired off our own show, Women's Murder Club? And yes. you do. Okay, what was that like? Terrible. Here's <laughs> the thing. I probably can speak for all agents, but, you know, we are completely invested in our clients. Our identity is wrapped up in our clients. If our clients get hurt, we feel hurt. And our job is to protect our clients. But oftentimes you're up against political situations or other things that are beyond your control. So obviously that's happening if somebody's getting fired. And what happened there was you had your first show, you were doing a really great job in terms of the management of the show, but the strike was heavily involved in this. The last strike. Yes, right? very so, much so. So yes. you were plugging along and then everything stopped because it was interrupted by the strike. And then it was following the strike and the revival of stuff that we got the news that you guys were going to get fired. I'll tell you what I remember from the call. <laughs> yeah, go, tell me. I remember you calling and saying... Um, no, was, they want to continue without you. Right. They want to continue without you, at which point I went to my freezer and took out a bottle of vodka. And really? over the course of the call, which I think was about an hour long, I proceeded to become incredibly drunk. This was prior <laughs> to becoming a mother. <laughs> And Liz and I, who were in our separate homes, were just sort of like basically yelling at you yeah. <laughs> for like an hour. I, I don't know if Liz was drinking or not, but I was like, I mean, I finished off a third of a bottle of vodka over the course oh my of, the, God. of the call, which I hope I would handle it <laughs> with more grace now. <laughs> That's a really bad way for something to happen. But on the other hand, I do think it was sadly a learning experience for you guys. Me too, but for you guys, because it was, I think, the first upset like that. Yes. And so I think you were green, understandably, and therefore the reaction was about as intense as possible. And yeah, I think that yeah. you emerged from that much stronger. And frankly, now, I mean, I think, you, I think it would never happen that way again, because I think you would be reading the tea leaves a lot differently going along. Yes, we would have That's played true. it completely differently. Yeah, I think that at that time, we were still very intimidated, sort of by everyone surrounding us. So we weren't as able to handle the politics because we were just into trying to prove we could do the job. And we didn't get the sort of more nuanced aspects of the right. position we were in, where I think 
now we're just, as you say, with our experience, we're just more confident and better at that. And then also, you're right. If we, we would see that coming a mile away now. We probably would have quit early rather than let it get to that point. I don't even have vodka in my freezer anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> let us ask you, because this does happen a lot, um, and you're in a unique sort of position to observe it. What should we as writers, or I mean, this applies really to anyone who gets fired, what can we do to cope with it? Like, you've seen it a lot, and you know it can really knock people down. What do you tell people to do to deal with it? You know, it's like the rest of life, actually. I mean, the truth is, and this has been true in Hollywood since forever, people get screwed over literally every minute of the day. And the problem is, we're all in the same business, and it's a small business, even though it seems large. It's still a small world, and you're going to run into that person again, and you are going to need something from them again, probably, if they were in a position to fire you. So unfortunately, unless you've got a big enough bank account, you really have to sort of save your frustration or indignation or whatever it is to play a card Mm -hmm. on another day. And you will. You just won't necessarily be able to do anything about it that day. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you just have to like, you know, get back up on your feet. And if you dwell on it, it will destroy you. Yes. You know, you have to process it. Uh, And that usually requires a fetal position and some alcohol Uh for a couple of days. Uh (laughs) But truthfully, to deal with it is you can't internalize it in many cases because it isn't really a reflection of you. It's some other thing that's going on. Now, it could be that it's your fault. Right. In which case, there is something. I mean, I've seen situations where people have gotten fired and it's because they actually can't do the job that they are supposed to be doing. They actually can't do it. And so then it's a question of learning what your strengths are and weaknesses are and do the jobs that you can do and don't try and tackle the jobs you can't do. But nevertheless, you know, what can you do to get over it? It's like it's just human emotion. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to do the therapy <laughs> to, to get you off the floor for sure. All right, well, that is fantastic advice. Don't dwell. And also, I think you told us, write something new. Yes. Always right. write something yeah. new. Was, by the way, that was only at that time. Now, I've got such a fabulous collection of stuff. I'm not <laughs> saying don't write anything new, but you've done a good job. Thank you. Okay, good. All right. Well, Matt, thank you for taking our call, one of thousands that we have uh, made to you. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Matt. Right, bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. Coming up, we're going to talk about having a heart full of love. What exactly does that mean? We'll discuss after a word from our sponsor. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, Sarah, we're moving on to a segment we're going to call LVS, which obviously stands for Liz versus Sarah. 
In this segment, we'll discuss slash debate something we might not see eye to eye on, whether that's the value of workplace yoga, career strategy, or the subject of today's segment, which we will get to in a minute. So to set up today's LVS topic, we should talk a little bit about your sister, Gretchen Rubin. Of course, in addition to coming from the same womb, you co-host a (laughs) podcast together, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And I'm a huge fan of Gretchen's. I've read her books. In fact, I really don't think this totally makes me cry. (laughs) I really don't think I would have my daughter if it weren't for the Happiness Project. Yeah, you have Violet, who we've already talked about. You got pregnant with a sperm donor, and that's a subject for a whole other episode. We will talk about that at length because there's much to say. (laughs) And I also listened to Happier. And one day, Gretchen said something totally in passing that struck me in a deeply and somewhat alarmingly profound way. Yeah. We were talking about a listener named Andrea Salenzi, who, by the way, hosts a great podcast called YOY. She was having trouble dealing with a breakup. She'd broken up with someone because he didn't want to have kids, and she was worried she wouldn't find someone she liked as much. And Gretchen didn't think she should be worried about that. Here's part of what Gretchen said. There's a lot of people, and everyone is special and unique, and this was special and unique, but if you have a heart full of love, I I am I, not worried for Andrea. I think that she will find someone that she likes just as much and more moving forward. I agree. Yes. Well, so good luck, Andrea. So the relevant thing here is the phrase heart full of love. I think part of why it struck me is that Gretchen is not generally touchy-feely. I don't think mm. I've ever heard her say anything like that mm-hmm. really before. So she says heart full of love as if just, of course, this woman has a heart full of love. And I thought, oh, my God, I I don't have a heart full of love. Well, I have to say, I came into the office the next day not knowing any of this was going on in your mind and not really remembering Gretchen had said that. And I came in and right out of the blue, you were like, do you have a heart full of love? And you very quickly said that you do, which really threw me into a tailspin. So we asked Brooke, our assistant, and she has a heart full of love. And then we started asking everyone who came into our office. Uh, So Allison, a friend of ours, has a heart full of love. Her assistant, Elisa, has a heart full of love. I will say does not have a heart full of love. So I'm not entirely alone. And by the way, we will occasionally bleep out names to protect the famous and or the innocent. So, Liz, please, what does it mean to you to have a heart full of love? Well, I mean, you know I'm not like Doris Day. I am not an overly, you know, happy, wonderful, affectionate person. But I do tend to like people, and I tend to like their flaws. Like, I get a kick out of people's flaws usually. And I think that's what I think of as having a heart full of love. I guess I'm more like, I meet you, I assess you, I sort of decide over time. Mm. I mean, I think I generally just sort of accept people, but I'm not necessarily going to get close to people quickly. And I don't mean to imply that, like, I don't (laughs) love people. I have love in my heart. I think just the phrase, do you have a heart full (laughs) of love, like, implies Like I imagine a glass Mm -hmm. kind of brimming with water and, you know, like the surface tension keeps it on the top and it doesn't overflow, but it's just like one drop and it's going to overflow. That's how I think of a heart full of love. And I'm like, my heart is like a nice little Brinks truck. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like it's armored on the outside, but if you get in, lots of good stuff good in stuff. there. <laughs> well, I mean, here's my question for you. Is this something you want to change? Could you even change it? I don't know. I mean, I clearly was bothered by the phrase. Like it definitely triggered something. Do you think this is, uh, well, spoiler alert, you're single. I am. You've never been married. Right. I guess there's a reason Do for that. Do you think that's because, I mean, I am uh, I have no idea. I have no opinion on this. Right. Do you think this is connected to that? Like a suspicion about people or something like that? Probably. This is the psychotherapy section of the show. Yes. <laughs> this is our friend's therapy. Right. Um, yeah, I think so, definitely. Um, but I also am not sure that I want to change it. Like, I have a great life and I really love my life and I do have a lot of love. It's just uh, my heart is not brimming. Well, I will say that I think plenty of people out there have a heart full of love and dive into things and end up in disastrous, horrible situations <laughs> that could be tragic. So, I mean, you have prevented yourself a lot of potential heartache. That's true. Okay, that's how I'm going to look at it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to look at it as a positive protectionism. But I do think as your writing partner and friend, um, I would love to see you, I mean, fill that a little more to the brim and be open to the idea potentially of having a heart full of love. A little more surface tension. I will say that since I had this realization, I dug out my rose quartz necklace. Um, Okay, you have to... Explain to those not in the know about the rose quartz necklace. Okay. Well, I had a yoga teacher slash tarot card reader slash aromatherapist when I was pregnant who was also really into the healing power of stones. And rose quartz apparently opens your heart. So I now have a rose, a big rose quartz stone right over my heart. Um, so I, I'm in process. I think that's great. I don't know that I believe in the rose quartz, but I believe in the intention behind it. Yes. It's all about intention. All right. So we've established I surprisingly have a heart full of love. Sarah does not have a heart full of love. (laughs) We would love to hear from you guys if you have a heart full of love and, you know, what does that mean to you? Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And finally, our Hollywood hack of the week. Before we begin, please note, we're about to use some really bad language. So now's the time to fast forward if you don't want to hear a particular four-letter word that begins with F. So Liz, take it away. This is the first piece of advice we give people who ask us for advice, which they often do. So this is our first Hollywood hack. Say fuck in a meeting. And I don't remember if this is advice that we, you know, sort of sprang from the well of our own genius or if someone told us to do this. Do you remember? You know, I don't remember. Um, I know that we've told so many others to do it over the last 15 years that I feel like we came up with it, (laughs) but I really have no idea. It has Um, been very effective for us. It has. And the thinking behind it is, and this is especially as two women working in Hollywood, we often have to interview with men and we often work with only men. That has changed wonderfully over the years, but it, it's still a male-dominated field, obviously. And what we found is that men want to know that you can, let's say, hang. You know, our job is usually spending like eight hours or 12 hours a day in a room with someone. And the guys want to know that they can say whatever they want in front of you. 
And we found that when we would go into a meeting and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, it was so fucking great, that episode of uh, Breaking Bad, it just lets them know right away, oh, okay, we can say what we want in front of these gals. So it's worked really well for us as women. Do you think that it's something that, I mean, we have given the advice to men, I think. Oh, like I think of that one guy who I will not name, who came in to interview and sort of looked like a marketing executive. Yes. Remember? Yes. Like, if he had used the say fuck in a meeting rule, he might have been more likely to get the job. He did not get the job. He did not. And we called his agent afterward and said, get this guy a T-shirt. But that's a whole other Hollywood <laughs> hack. Um, but you're right. Had he said fuck, we might have thought, okay, he's not as stiff as he's appearing to be. With, right. Like he dressed that. up for the meeting because he's green, but he'll relax. Yes. So now we're more likely to hire people than to be getting hired for the yeah. most part. Thank goodness. Yes. So the question is, are we now looking for people <laughs> who say fuck in a meeting? Is that one of our criteria? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, I really don't. I don't feel like I ever even notice if someone says fuck in a uh -huh. meeting. Um, I will point out, Brooke says that when we were interviewing her to be our assistant, she did say fuck in the meeting. And we hired her. So the answer is yes. We like a good fuck in a meeting. We do. <laughs> and that's it for the very first episode of Happier in Hollywood. Remember to email us your mantras at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. We'd also like to hear if you have a heart full of love. And we'll be taking your listener questions, so leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY-21. That's 949-HAPPY-21. Thanks to our producers, Kristen Meinzer and Jennifer Lai, and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Also, thanks to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Elizabeth Craft, and Sarah is at Sarah M. Fame. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Do you think anyone really calls us the bitches? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. <laughs>